now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning Layer 1s to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Shaughnessy, back with our Web3 series. Today, I have on Natter Debit. Uh, we're going to, from Edge and Node and The Graph, we're going to cover, um, he's had some incredible posts on the Web3 stack, development, a whole breadth of things in this area. So I'm really thrilled to have you on Natter. Um, tell us a bit about your backstory. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. My name is Natter. I'm a developer relations engineer. I'm a software engineer also by trade. I've been writing code for about 10 years. I have spent most of my career in the traditional tech world. My last role was leading a team in AWS, front-end web and mobile. So I came from a very, very traditional Web2 background. Um, before that, I did React Native Training, which is a framework for building mobile apps. Before that, I was a just traditional web developer. So I've kind of pivoted from uh, web development to mobile development to cloud computing. And I kind of started diving down the rabbit hole of Web3 after kind of getting past my initial investment that I was doing in crypto and kind of trying to understand why some of these protocols existed. And as a developer, I came extremely excited and, and interested and almost fascinated by what a lot of these projects were trying to do when I started understanding like what Web3 like really kind of meant early 2021. And from then, I kind of uh, almost overnight realized I want to work in the space and immediately started just uh, trying to find a team to work for and ultimately landed with the Graph Protocol and Edge and Node. Edge and Node is a startup that was created by the founders of the Graph Protocol. And I've um, been here ever since early 2021, and I've been having a, just a really great time and I'm um, still, still learning. So what about Web3 drew you in? Because I mean, you're somebody, generally when you find people that have spent so much time in an industry, whether it be like TradFi versus crypto, or whether it be Web2 versus Web3, it's really hard to understand what exactly this is, especially as I don't know if we really totally understand what Web3 is yet. So I guess, how did mentally you get over that that cliff or, or what was it that just automatically got you interested? Yeah, it was a combination of a lot of different things. I think one of the main things that kind of drew me in at first was that I was really bored at AWS. I was kind of burnt out doing a lot of the same things that I felt that we were doing kind of over and over in the web, in the traditional Web2 space, you could call it. So a lot of the things that were happening in, in innovation in cloud computing, like very early on, were very, very disruptive and they were kind of like game changing. But I feel like a lot of the stuff that had happened over the course of the past few years that I was there was almost like reinventing, to, reinventing the wheel. We weren't really doing anything that was that revolutionary. And when I started looking at some of the, the goals and the aspirations of some of these Web3 protocols, and what kind of like Web3 was, was hoping to do with reshaping the internet and creating all these 
kind of like new primitives for building software. That is really the main thing that drew me in. That's really cool. So I, I'm having, I just want to understand a bit better. So it's really hard for people to make the move from TradFi to crypto or Web2 to Web3. What was it about Web3 that like totally got you completely interested? Because it's also something we're still trying to define and build in real time. Yeah, for me, it was the fact that when I was working at AWS, when I first started there, I was extremely hyped and excited about the stuff that we were building. And I still feel that the things that we were building on my team were valuable for developers and they enabled people to kind of build really cool applications. But I also felt that we weren't really innovating anymore. I felt like a lot of the stuff that we were doing was kind of like reinventing the wheel. Like we would come out with a small new feature for this existing um relational database or we would come out with a new implementation of a NoSQL database, but we weren't kind of doing much that was pushing the boundaries and that was kind of like piquing my curiosity. So I was getting a little bored and burnt out with some of the stuff that we were doing, uh, especially towards the last year or two of my, of my work there. And it was kind of like the complete opposite in Web3. I felt like the, the problem space was so early that there were so many problems that like had not been solved yet, but a lot of the aspirations for what people ultimately wanted to build were very, very almost like outrageous and, and exciting. And there was a lot of investment there at the time when I was starting to look at it. So I was like, okay, this stuff looks interesting. I really like the ideas that were behind some of the Web3 you know, ultimate goals. Like if you hear what a definition of Web3 is, you'll hear a hundred different versions. But, but the things that were interesting to me as a developer with this idea of uh, having composable backends, um, public data that anyone can use, the idea of self-sovereign identity as a developer that's done a lot of building out different authentication mechanisms and very, very overly complex OAuth systems. The idea of being able to just have public key cryptography and having universal sign-in was super interesting to me. So there was a lot of stuff to it. I wouldn't just point to a single thing, but I think if, if I did want to kind of like condense it into like a single area that really was the main reason it was really about how interesting this space was versus how kind of boring the thing that I was doing before was. No, that's a great point. I mean, you were a full stack traditional developer for a decade. So I guess at some point you kind of get to a point where you're just, you know, doing little improvements and it's not exciting. You're not really creating anything foundationally new. I have, I mean, one question on your point, you brought up a lot of key things about Web3 that you like, composable uh, composability, owning your own data, identity, universal sign-on, all of these things. Are these things that you found were blockers for developers on the Web2 side? Like, did people come to you and say, or, or did you say, hey, I want to build this, I want to build that, but I just can't because I'm in this silo? Or are these things that you found in Web3 that got you really excited? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a combination of both. I would say one thing that I've noticed is how powerful it is if someone builds out a very, very highly used uh successful platform and then opens their APIs for other developers to build upon and how people can build billion dollar businesses on top of other people's businesses. So for instance, a good example of this is Twitter. Twitter, you know, started becoming extremely popular and people started using their publicly accessible APIs and kind of building out other businesses on top of that. One day Twitter just decides to shut all those APIs down. Therefore, a lot of these businesses actually had to pivot or went out of business. And the thing that always stuck with me from that experience was, wow, what if that wasn't the case? Like, what if we could have these immutable backends that were um, available to everyone to build upon and that were composable for anyone to kind of build out their own front end on top of this? 
and how powerful would that be if all this data was just public, right? And that's exactly what Web3 brings to the table. So that's definitely um, true that this did speak to me um, as a developer. And then around identity, yeah, I mean, one of the most challenging things that we dealt with at AWS was identity and identity management. And even when I, like, throughout all the time that I was there and before I was there and all the smart people working on this stuff, I still don't feel like we had um, a really pristine way to do authentication and identity from a tech, from a technical perspective, but also the fundamental like idea of your identity being stored in a central place, and therefore it can go down or people can can mess with it or you you, ha- you don't really control that. Someone else is essentially controlling that. Um, the idea of having a decentralized identity store that only you as a user or the owner can can control was very, very kind of like new and revolutionary. We didn't have anything like that. There just isn't a way to build that in a centralized system. No, that's awesome. I mean, so you spent so much time at AWS. I'm curious, do you think that there'll ever be a situation where Web2 developers in mass kind of embrace the tenants of Web3 that you're seeing? Or do you still think that these are two different worlds? Because you clearly left to embrace Web3 because you couldn't do what you wanted to do there. I think one thing that you've started to see, especially in the last six months or so, is you are seeing a lot of these traditional developers um, start exploring and then even leaving their positions and kind of coming over. So I do see that happening, but I also see the reverse of this happening. I'm seeing the Googles and the, the Facebooks of the world start implementing these ideas that we've been building out in Web3 into their existing platforms and Twitter, Reddit, like, you know, you, you name it. Um, so like you're seeing a little bit of both. You're seeing kind of like the adoption of some of these Web3 ideas and primitives into Web2 platforms. And then you're seeing the exodus of Web2, quote unquote, developers into Web3. And it's coming at a time that's super interesting for me that, that's been here for so long. There is an all-time high demand for software engineers already. And you're seeing all this new money flood into Web3. And you're seeing wild things like, you know, half a million or million dollar salaries for like smart contract engineers. And money is a great incentive mechanism. So like people are like having not only the opportunity to get paid a lot, but also to explore and and have fun. Because to me, Web3 is a lot more fun. So yeah, there's definitely, I definitely do think that we're going to see more and more people want to kind of get in. And I think for Web2, two quote unquote companies. Again, I'm using that term web two, because like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like not, not something we said a year ago, but um, I think you're going to see those old school companies start adopting these technologies and have strategies to address that exodus of people to kind of keep them interested in the stuff that they're doing. This is just coming from someone that from the perspective of someone that is in the network of a bunch of engineers and developers, we talk all the time and we kind of like, you know, see trends, I would say, happening in real time. No, I mean, that's why I wanted to have you on, right? I mean, talk to somebody who's spent so much time in Web 2 and somebody who's fully embraced Web 3. It, it's kind of interesting, though, right? I mean, like in the Web 2 world, you know, growing up, we always saw like Google as having slides and ball pits and free food and electric scooters. Nowadays in Web 3, it's like, you know, you're sitting at your condo working on three projects at once, right? Is it a different experience for you as a developer, like not only physically, but like, culturally going from like a hyperscale internet company to, you know, discord groups. And how do you think developers in mass and including yourself will adapt to things like that? Yes, it's definitely totally different. Like I've been working remotely for about 
seven years or six years or something like that. So for me, it's maybe not as different. But with COVID, everyone you know going remote, everyone started becoming comfortable with that. I don't think it's as big of a shift as it would have been if uh, maybe people started building these distrib- this worldwide distributed companies and uh, mass like they're doing now in Web three, uh, just two two years ago or so. But I want to touch on a point that you kind of that you pers- that you just touched on a little bit around. Google and uh, Facebook just 10 years ago were kind of like the coolest places to work. Like you mentioned, they have really fun um, personas around how it feels to maybe work there. Um, And then you've seen the narratives change over the last 10 years a little bit. And I think, or maybe a lot even for for a place like Facebook to the point where they had to kind of pivot their entire name. And um, Google also is now seemingly to attract you know, great engineers still and all of that. I'm not, I don't want to kind of speak negatively of any of these companies, but I guess what I'm trying to say is they are now maybe looked at as kind of like the IBMs of 10 years ago, whereas a lot of these Web3 companies are looking or kind of the new cool kids in town, you would might say. And that's at least my perspective. Again, like this isn't something that everyone's going to agree upon, but this is kind of the trend that I'm seeing. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, that's that's why I'm kind of wondering like, we are, or at least myself, I'm in the crypto bubble, right? Like I see DeFi, I see NFTs. I've been here a while. I, I didn't come from a, a background, a tech background. So I'm trying to get a sense of what it's like inside Amazon, inside Google and Facebook, because I feel like their crypto and Web3 initiatives are either fringe or on small working groups. And most people don't like totally understand what they're able to do in Web3, right? Yeah, I don't think they know how to leverage it yet. I think that they're exploring it. I think that you'll see those large companies try to find ways to kind of have a play there. Obviously to me, what makes sense for something like Amazon or or GCP would be to kind of have a cloud infrastructure um, play for something like RPC nodes or for being able to run indexers or to run um, validators or things like that. That kind of maybe makes sense. I actually was invited to speak to a group of executives at Google a couple of weeks ago to kind of present like, what does Web3 mean? In hindsight, like I was, uh, a bunch of people were like, "Why did you even do that?" I was like, "I, I don't know. I, I actually knew the person that invited me, and I um, have a lot of respect for her." And I was kind of like, you know, thought it would be cool to do that um, because either way, if they want to kind of get in into the space, they're going to do it. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know what their play would be because a lot of the ideas here are disruptive to those sorts of companies. So I think. Maybe they'll try to build out their own platforms or protocols or something like that. Uh, I definitely think providing like a centralized infrastructure, something like uh, Infura, uh, might make sense. You, you just saw Coinbase announce Coinbase Cloud this week. I think that uh, those sorts of plays make a lot of sense because um, you know I work with the Graph Protocol and like what we're actually building out is a decentralized API layer that kind of, in my opinion, disrupts even a centralized company trying to build something like that too. And then you also have projects like Pocket Network um, doing a decentralized RPC node as a service. So like, you know, there's all this stuff happening at the same time and it's hard to know what's going to what's gonna happen in the next few years. But like, if you ask me, the reason that we're here today is because of decentralization. I think decentralization wins. And I think you're going to see that um, if something can be decentralized and built out as a protocol, then it should be and it will be. And I think those are going to be the platforms that are more adopted uh, as we move forward. What did you get the sense with your, or, or I'm trying to ask the most valuable question based on your conversations with the Google execs. I mean, 
I guess the most interesting thing to me would be like, what was your thesis for them? And I guess, were they receptive? Yeah. So I, I, pre- I created a completely brand new presentation for them because I do a lot of talks and stuff for um, conferences and stuff anyway. But I wanted to kind of create something that was kind of tailored for them because I was kind of given a scope of what the audience was going to be. And they were technical, but they weren't kind of like all developers. So I, I wasn't going to go into the the deep details around actually writing code and stuff. I wanted to kind of more talk from a higher level. And the thesis that I kind of brought to the table was a combination of, okay, what does even Web3 mean? <laughs> you know, because again, like I mentioned, if you kind of Google this, you'll, you'll see a million definitions. So I kind of delivered my uh, version of what that means. And to me, it's kind of like, Web3 is the stack of protocols that enable fully decentralized applications. And the repercussions or the characteristics of these applications are kind of what we talk about as Web3. So like ownership of data, content, and platform, uh, crypto, which is you know native digital payments, self-sovereign identity. I talked about this idea of, of this composable backend infrastructure um, and then more robust infrastructure from a uh, developer, developer software perspective um, in the sense that like instead of having a central point of failure if you have your app built and run across hundreds or thousands of nodes then it's by uh, nature it's just going to be more robust so i kind of delivered like those characteristics i gave a bunch of examples of how this is actually being built and, and used in practice so i talked about nfts talked about nft gaming like axie infinity and all the investment that's going to these similar gaming projects um I talked about some of the NFT collections and stuff that were kind of built that um, were, you know, building these new types of communities that we never had seen before. I talked a little bit about DAOs. I created a DAO called Developer DAO. I kind of talked a little bit about that. And um, yeah, just kind of went touched on every little point that you could think of and um, took a few questions at the end. That's awesome. I So I was trying to figure out like, you know, internally at Delphi, we formed a, like a Web3 working group and we we're going back and forth on doing a post in Web3 and we were all like, you know, man, trying to, con- I mean, trying to condense Web2 to three pages, right? Like it's hard, <laughs> it right? So it's, you know, we're still working through it. But I guess what I keep going back to is like decentralization just to decentralize isn't enough, right? I'm trying to figure out like, what do the users get? Like, what do the developers get? Like, what do investors get, right? That's different. And when I talk to developers, including you know, yourself with a ton of knowledge here, I get really cool answers, right? Like when I talk about, when I talk to people about things like social graphs, they talk about, you know, hey, you're no longer in a silo. Developers can literally create a new app in two seconds by bringing a social graph over, right? And you could opt in and you can use it. So what do you think are the most important characteristics for the user beyond decentralization? Like are there new capabilities, new utilities, new experiences? Like what do you think Web3 will bring them that they just straight up can't have in Web2? I think one of the most or the biggest differences that feels feels just really good from a user experience perspective is is universal sign on with your with your quote unquote wallet and i think the the usage of the term wallet in and of itself is probably a blocker for a lot of people anyway and i think we should rethink that and i've even thrown out some ideas within our dao around building out a wallet that is positioned in a much different way and it's not even called a wallet it's more like a web3 identity app or something like that so I think being able to just go to it, go to an app, and it prompts you with your MetaMask wallet, and you just click sign, and that's it. 
and you don't have to kind of hand over all of your personal information, but you also don't even have to kind of um, worry about how all that stuff works. You just kind of are just clicking this one button and you're signed in and you can use that same sign-in mechanism across multiple apps. That just feels really good from a user experience perspective. That's kind of like the number one thing I would say. Um, beyond that, I think gaming is probably the most interesting use case that we've seen actually be very successful so far from a uh, perspective of like applying these ideas to a real world scenario. So with Axie Infinity, I thought it was really interesting how people like, I don't know if, if you have kids, but I have a couple of kids and they've been playing Fortnite for a couple of years and we spent a lot of money on in-game currency and in-game tokens and stuff like that. And one of my kids like outgrew it and started playing something else and we spent like a thousand bucks. I just feel like it would be so cool and powerful if he could take all of those in-game items and like give them away to his friends or sell them or transfer them to other games. So Axie Infinity and speaking about how like we're already having this in-game currency in Fortnite, but with Axie Infinity, you're able to kind of, you know, use that or kind of get something out of all of that work. That seems to really uh, resonate with people. And um, yeah, I think those two are probably two of the most bullish examples that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, excited about. But I also feel like a lot of the composability that we're seeing of made available by by Web3 will end up bringing about cooler and better user experiences down the road. And I think that's kind of where the conversation is like, oh, we're still so early. I think we're seeing really um, hyper focus on financialized applications like NFTs and DeFi and stuff. Um, and, and, and I think that's great, but I think where we're gonna actually see the mass adoption is maybe if we can find the first person to build out a social network that is accessible that by the average person. And um, that is kind of like the, the killer app, I think will be something around social media. And what that looks like in Web3, I have no idea, but I'm assuming it has something to do with like a wallet and NFTs or something like that. And I think we're, we don't know the answer to that yet. No, it's a great answer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've definitely spent some money on Fortnite, so probably may have lost to your kids at some point way back when, but it's, it's an easy comparison. And I guess one thing that's interesting to discuss is just the development perspective, right? Like you use an entirely different stack, I, I think, when you're building Web2 apps. I mean, in your post, you cover things like APIs and databases and file storage. It would be really cool if you can walk us through like your process developing on the Web2 side. And then I know this might be long-winded, so I'll, I'll let you take this however you want, but you know, how you then think about building on Web3, right? Because we don't really see it. We kind of just see the end result. So it would be helpful for us so we know where the value flows, where the interplay is, and, and how this all works together. Yeah, so as a developer, there's all types of developers that are out there. You know, you can be a front-end developer, a back-end developer. You can focus on machine learning or data science or, or a million other things. But I, I feel like most developers identify as either front-end or back-end. And then there's also people that do a little bit of both and they identify as like full stack. And coming from Web2, if you're a front-end developer, you are building out mostly user interface and it doesn't really matter that much about how the backend is built. You're kind of more focused on taking that design, making it into code, and then connecting these API endpoints to kind of pull data in and maybe send data back to that, that database or that server. Um, so from a front-end developer's perspective coming into Web3, there isn't a lot of actual change. So I've seen so many developers 
that had zero experience in any type of uh, blockchain backend experience, they were hired immediately because their skills are 100% transferable. The only main difference is instead of sending an API request to a centralized database, you're now sending these to RPC nodes or the graph uh, or something like that to kind of send and, and query data. Um, now, the biggest difference is definitely from the backend perspective. And I was a full stack developer, someone that worked at AWS. I had to understand how to kind of create infrastructure and uh, you know build databases and connect API endpoints to those and, and all of that. So I think that from the perspective of a developer, if they're a front-end developer, they don't really have to like learn a ton at first. They will ultimately need to to learn at least a little bit about connecting to these these backends, these new backends. But from a backend developer's perspective, you have to kind of almost relearn most of everything. You can't really say, "Oh, I'm going to take my SQL knowledge or my NoSQL knowledge and apply this to a smart contract." You can take the logic and stuff that you've uh, learned over time for writing code, which is very transferable, but you kind of have to start over from a new language, which is either Solidity or Rust, and how the different security concerns are, are different, and with Ethereum, maybe even worried about gas costs and stuff like that. So, you know, um, with with that in mind, if I wanted to go and build an app three years ago, I typically would say, okay, I'm a full stack developer, I want to build out like a social network. In order to do that, I need a database, I need a front end, I need a server to kind of send these requests to to talk to that database. And I might need a place to store videos and images, so file storage. So like you have these primitives and using these primitives, you can build out almost anything. So like when I was teaching, I've been teaching software development for like seven years, even going back to starting a couple of coding schools here in Mississippi. You know, we kind of, thought about it in that way, because when you think about it in that way, it helps developers learn what they need to learn and kind of like forget about everything else. They don't get distracted. Oh, I need to go learn machine learning or whatever, like this new thing that comes up on Hacker News. Instead, we can just say, learn React, learn uh, this DynamoDB or something like that, and then learn how to use Lambda. And you can kind of do most of everything. So the primitives that I would say a front end or actually full stack developer in Web2 would need or the ones I just mentioned, like a database, a server. And uh, like you kind of have those and you can build like 95% of the apps that you need. And then the other 5% are gonna be what kind of differentiates you maybe from the average or the all every other app that's out there. So what does that look like in Web3? So that was really the first question that I had when I started looking into this stuff because I was um, investigating like all, the, all these different things. And I was like, okay, I wanna learn how to write some code. So I'm going to go and build a dApp, you know, a decentralized dApp. And the first thing I realized, this was back in February, was that there just wasn't a ton of great documentation or tutorials or videos out there that kind of showed the end-to-end building out all of this stuff that was easily accessible to the average developer. So I could find a really great tutorial about how to write some solidity in a smart contract. I might find a really great tutorial about how to use like Ethers JS or Web3.js to do like a single thing. But like, how do you put all this stuff together and build a full stack app? So that was kind of the first um, stopper for me when I started learning this stuff. And, and what I decided to do was, okay, I'm going to like learn how to do this, but I want to document this so the next person coming in behind me can actually come in and like, you know, not have to stumble through this. So it took me about a month, 
but I put together this tutorial called uh, The Complete Guide to Full Stack Ethereum Development. And it kind of took my perception of what a Web3 stack might look like, a very basic one, um, using the same ideas that I had kind of in like Web2 and explain that. And it actually just blew up. It was like the most read thing I'd ever written. It, it's been read and viewed. I turned it into a video like over half a million times at this point. And to me, that said like a lot. It meant like, okay, there's a lot of people that are interested in this stuff, but there, maybe there isn't a ton of high quality material at that point in time. And from then on, um, I've been, that was like when I first started working at Edge and Node and the graph. And from then on, I've been trying to really figure out, okay, what does this Web3 stack look like? And we spent, you know, the, the, the rest of last year uh, researching and kind of like building out and playing around with stuff uh, at Edge and Node. We even had a full-time researcher that was kind of like looking at all these core components and documenting them and trying to figure out um, like which teams and projects actually had a future because there's a lot of like, you know, bullshit out there or whatever. There's even projects that like look on the surface like they might be good, but when you meet the teams, you realize they've kind of like left them behind, right? And they're not building that anymore. So I really wanted to know what this stack looked like so we can kind of um, share all this knowledge and, and also in the future continue keeping that um, list or that information up to date for new developers coming into the space. Because I think like once you get past like the hello world, there just isn't a lot of great resources out there so uh, a hello world would be just like a front end, a smart contract, just send a transaction and read the data. But you can't build Twitter like that, right? You can't build uh, a big social network. You need all these other features. And where we currently are today in Web3 is we are kind of at a point where we have a lot of these basic primitives, um, but a lot of them aren't, I would say, production ready yet. And if, we wanna, if you want to build out a very, very like performant, application that does all the stuff that we're used to, you end up having to use some centralized services in there. And you can't kind of like build a fully decentralized app that's that's non-trivial today. And that's kind of a lot of the work that we're doing with the graph and edge of node. And I see a lot of other teams out there as well. We're kind of like improving this these tools and services and these protocols so we can kind of get to that point. So when someone comes from web two and they're like, oh, I want to do this, we can say, oh, here's the answer. Here's how you do that. As opposed to right now, we're like, well, like you can do that, but you know, there's always like a but. Damn, no, it's a super comprehensive answer. I'll link the, um, your complete guide to full stack Ethereum development in the show notes for those who want to check it out. It's a really cool read. I'm not a developer, but it, it helped a lot. I guess one question for you, just, you know, you seeing and helping developers make the switch, you know, how hard is it for a backend developer? Because that's where you describe the most changes. How hard is it for them to go from, you know, their past life to their Web3 world? And I ask because I want to know, I guess, how many developers could potentially come over and two, how hard or long it takes for them to get up to speed to start building in the Web3 space. So I mentioned the front end skills are immediately transferable. I think the back end skills, like I mentioned, the actual work that you've done isn't probably going to be transferable, but the all the logic and all the experience that you have is extremely valuable. And if you already understand how to program, you know, picking up a new language isn't typically that hard. So Solidity is, is actually very, very approachable. It's probably one of the most approachable languages I've ever worked with. It's very, very close to TypeScript or JavaScript or Python even. So if you're a backend developer and you want to kind of start working in this space and you want to be a smart contract developer, you can probably pick it up just in about a few weeks to the point where you can build out 
most of the ideas that you're kind of thinking of. You might not know all of the best practices and it probably, you might have some security concerns. So you wouldn't probably build like a billion dollar DeFi protocol, but you could probably learn enough to kind of get your foot in the door. And I would say after a couple of months um, of, of, of writing Solidity, you can probably get hired mainly because there's just such a ridiculous demand right now for smart contract engineers. There just isn't enough of them out there. So if you're a good developer, you can probably just like you've picked up everything else in your career, pick this up as well. No, that's fair. I, one thing that I'm, I'm trying to figure out is like, as developers in Web2, I'm sure you guys have a zillion new features every year, upgrades, new you know tooling you can use. I'm, I'm messing the wording up, but I think you follow where I'm going with this. On the Web3 side, it's very hard because everything is brand new. Everything is constantly changing. And we literally just have holes, right? Where you have to use centralized servers. It seems like a very both interesting, but fast moving and chaotic place to be a developer. Like, you know, even if you're able to attract developers here to build full time, how do you get them comfortable? Because they might build on Ethereum and then Starkware comes out and they got to learn a new language and build there. Or, you know, maybe they, maybe their app is best suited for Solana and they had no idea and they got to reuse this whole language. So it seems like there has to be much like a broader education covering L2s and all L1s before developers maybe commit to building their app somewhere. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you know, in the even in the Web2 world, things were moving pretty fast and there was always something new coming out and there was always an update. And you were always having to kind of, if, especially if you're using NPM or, or Node.js, there was always like a breaking change a few months down the road that you would have to kind of implement. But in the Web3 world, it's like that times 10. And, um, you know, things are just wild and, and crazy and things are breaking and changing all the time. And it is kind of hard to kind of keep up and it's hard to even know what to use because if you do look at the layer one and layer twos or just the which blockchain you're going to use, you have layer ones and, and layer twos and side chains and and you kind of don't maybe know what what is the best place to be. So it's the, the answer is always kind of like it depends. So I think for you to be successful in this space, you have to just be comfortable with the fact that things are going to move fast and things are going to break and you're never going to probably be able to just learn one thing and um, use it forever. You're always going to be like relearning and keeping up to date. And um, I think that you just have to be able to thrive kind of in chaos. So I don't think that we're going to see any sense of stability really um, anytime soon. I mean, if you look at how solidity works, so that seems pretty, pretty stable. And like, that's the one thing I can point to in this space that if you learn EVM and solidity, you can write smart contracts for like dozens of networks. So that that's a very strong, consistent skill set. Now, a lot of the other stuff like around it is definitely changing. So um, there's there's that to just, I'd say, take into consideration. No, that's that's totally fair. Is there anything that's completely missing from the Web3 development side that you're waiting for? Like, is there a key primitive or, or is there something that you're currently centralizing that you wish was decentralized or anything that, you know, people should be on the lookout for, for enablers that will help the Web3 development side? Yeah, I mean, I think we just are seeing the emergence of all these protocols that are filling in the Web2 stack by offering a decentralized version of that. So the graph was really compelling to me as a developer because I was thinking of all the projects that I could work with, like which are going to be actually the most valuable for me to build on. And there were probably a half dozen or so between like layer ones and the graph where I was like, okay, this is something I would actually use in the real world. So those are always the ones that I'm also keeping an eye out for. So a couple of missing pieces right now to me are like notifications. So if I want to send like 
a push notification or a trigger an email or something like that, even though like we're not typically doing email stuff. But let's say I want to do some type of notification. You have to kind of use a centralized service for that right now. If I want, if I want to do video hosting, I can't really uh, do uh, video hosting that is affordable right now in Web3 that I know of. There are a couple of projects like Glass Protocol and, and things like that that are working on it. But there isn't like a clear answer like, oh, someone has this question, I hand them this answer. So um, you have the protocols that are kind of replacing, in my opinion, the traditional centralized services that we were using. And that's what's going to probably happen over the next few years. You're going to see more protocols that are built to fill in the gaps for things like notifications and videos and whatever else that uh, is missing for what, what people want to build. That's fair. What about the graph got you so interested so early on? Like, I think everyone in crypto loves the graph's brand. They love that it's a key piece for querying networks like IPFS and Ethereum, things like that. But what about it as a developer completely sold you from the get-go? Yeah, I mean, going back to that idea of like what the Web3 stack is, you know, smart contracts fill out the execution layer for, for the blockchain. So you have L1s. Those were appealing to me when I was kind of looking at employment like opportunities and stuff. Um identity is interesting because it's not the way that we think about it because you don't really have to have a service for the identity or a protocol even for just signing in because um, the execution is like happening within the smart contract and in the user's wallet. So there doesn't have to be like another thing there, even though there are some really great uh, projects that are out there doing cool stuff like ceramic and, um, and there's a couple of other ones, but but yeah, the way I was looking at it was like, this: what is this stack? Like, what would I use as a developer? And then the graph protocol just seemed to fit that really well. If I want to build out a, a dApp and I need to have full text search and I need to have, you know, um, relational data and sorting and filtering, all this stuff that you would traditionally do on a server, you can't do that from a smart contract. So, I mean, you can't do that in a scalable way from a smart contract. So the graph kind of like fit that. So that was really, really interesting to me. And I was like, okay, this is obviously something that people are going to use. And, and when I use it, it just made a lot of sense. And I think the other thing that made a lot of sense for me was I had zero experience in anything Web3. And I didn't think that any team was going to hire me because I didn't have any experience. But the Graph protocol uses something called GraphQL, which is an API uh, specification that I was specialized in AWS for a few years. So I was thinking like, okay, let me apply for this team because maybe they'll see GraphQL and they'll give me a shot. So it was kind of like this protocol uh, was using a technology that I was used to, and also it seemed like a very useful, uh, you know, tool. So yeah, those two things kind of drew me in. No, that's awesome. Love the project. Love the team. Uh, thrilled that you're a part of it. One thing that when we talk about Web three internally that we're, you know, maybe completely missing is identity. Like we don't have a good idea of how identity will work, and the reason I ask is because we would love to have it in DeFi for things like. Um, you know, credit scores for um, not over collateralized loans, things like that. Um, how do you think identity will be addressed in a Web3 world? There's probably not a clear answer to that. I think what will end up happening will be some type of implementation of, you know, a self-sovereign identity layer that a user can have full control of. So if I want to attach my address to my Twitter username, I will have like a decentralized protocol that I can do that. And then that protocol will share that information with all of the different dApps that want to utilize that. So that's kind of one aspect of that. So one implementation of that today is a ceramic network with self.id. It used to be called IDX, the Identity uh, X protocol or something like that, but they've kind of 
change it to something called self ID. And this is really cool because it allows you to um, use your, your um, private key to sign transactions to this network to change information stored in kind of like a traditional web to user profile. And you can have multiple profiles. So if you want to kind of use an application and you want to have a username and uh, a, an avatar and you want to kind of like replicate that across multiple applications, you can kind of set this up in one place and then anyone that's using that protocol in their DAP will be able to kind of uh, use that. And that way you kind of have full control over that. And if you ever want to go change that or delete any information from there, you can kind of do that. So there's that. Um, and then there's also a lot of projects that are kind of trying to figure out what a better user experience is on top of a seed phrase and a uh, private key. So recovery of that. And you're seeing, you know, some, um, I think that you maybe have even had one of the different um, projects that's out there working on that on one of your shows. I'm trying to think Spruce ID. Did you have them on once? Uh, Gregory Rocco is a great guy. Close friend. Yeah, they're doing Spruce. Yeah, Spruce. So Spruce is really cool. They're doing some stuff. I don't know enough about Spruce to kind of speak to it, but I think that um, out of all of the protocols and teams that are working on on different solutions for identity, Ceramic and Spruce are probably the two that I probably think have maybe some of the best work going on right now. No, that's totally fair. If you had to put yourself in a non-developer position, so a stakeholder looking at Web3 you know, I don't want to say investor, but let's say like just crypto participant, right? What do you think that they understand the least about your position building Web3? Like, what do we just not understand from the outside? Or what do we just get completely wrong as users waiting for this to kind of come to fruition? I think trying to kind of directly compare one-to-one with existing centralized technologies doesn't make sense at all. And it confuses people and it almost makes a lot of people angry in Web2 if you see people from some of these bigger corporations that go on these rants about why Web3 sucks, they'll be like, Ethereum costs $5 to do a transaction and it's uh, 100,000 times less efficient than just like a, a, a SQL database query or something like that. And if they're comparing Ethereum to something like DynamoDB, then they're absolutely right. But what they're not taking into consideration is that what these protocols offer or something that are not offered at all in a centralized way. They're kind of like a new paradigm. So you can't compare a new paradigm to kind of like an existing paradigm. Um, something that we're used to, you have to think about it a lot differently. That's number one. And then number two, they're t- a lot of times they'll make these arguments using the most efficient thing that they have versus the least efficient thing that we have. So Ethereum is, is kind of like the first smart contract protocol, but it's also the least efficient you know, so like if you look at Solana or Polygon or the L2s, the um, the optimistic rollups, and even like the zero knowledge rollups and stuff like that, those are like orders of magnitude more efficient and faster and everything. So like the technology is improving, but it also offers like a completely different paradigm. So if, if they're looking at it from the perspective of, oh, I can hit this DynamoDB table a million times and query it, uh, you know, a million times per second, and it only costs me like a dollar. Uh, but if I did that in Ethereum and I tried to write a million transactions, it would cost me like, you know, whatever dollars, then it doesn't make sense to them. And I think that that's kind of where people often uh, get stuck up on those exact details. When in reality, you're kind of offering a new paradigm that we just didn't have before and, and, and new primitives for building uh, applications that we just didn't have before. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. One thing, and I don't really have a fully formed question here or just take on it myself, but you know, in crypto, you have a lot of silos, like people that love ETH, people that love Solana. And 
you know, I'm trying to figure out the developers coming from web two to web three in theory will go to wherever they can build their application in the best light, right? Whatever gives them the capabilities to build what they want and to see their vision. But the reality is they also have to go to where there's communities for as users, where there's money, where there's documentation and tooling and things like that. So it seems like their vision might get changed based on what's actually available now. Do you see that happening or, or I'm trying to figure out like, you know, I'm hoping web two devs don't get into like cultural wars or anything, but it seems like they're going to be forced into certain pockets based on what they want to build. Yeah. One thing I'm not a huge fan of is kind of like this maximalist mentality that you often see in, in crypto. One, one of the things that I like the most about the space is that we have all of these different options and everyone is innovating and everyone is trying to kind of build better. But, but I always try to take the outlook of thinking, okay, um, if something is better, I'm going to move to it. Like I'm not going to stick to something just because I have been using it for a long time. I'm always open to learning new things and being curious. And I think obviously a lot of the people that are like quote unquote maximalists maybe have large investments or holdings or, or, or something. I don't know. Or maybe they have just large personal investments in their uh, in that ecosystem or something like that. But to me, you know, um, I am always of the idea. I'm going to use the most the best tool possible you know, all things considered. And all things considered when it comes to these types of protocols are what are the existing uh, documentation and, and tutorials and stuff that I can learn it and actually do the things I want to do? Um, is this thing something that's adopted well enough that other people would use it if I built on it? Because, you know, we have to think about if someone's using a wallet and they need to transact, they need to have that that coin in their, in their wallet, right? Whereas uh, before we didn't have to worry about that. So therefore, you often see the network effects being amplified in Web3 with Ethereum, even though it's so inefficient, people are still building and deploying to it because so many people are using it. Even though like 99% of the world doesn't have enough money to write a transaction to Ethereum, they're still like building on it. So like I'm a fan of Ethereum. I'm not, I'm not actually trying to down it in that sentence. All I'm trying to say is that network effects definitely are, are, are big there. But I also think that the early mover the early mover and early adopter advantage is is something to consider too. So when I'm talking to developers, I'm like, look, you know, you can obviously, you know, use some of these networks that are are, are more adopted and, and all that today. But maybe if you start building out um, your own reputation and, and your own applications on this newer thing that could ultimately become that big one day, you kind of have to think a couple of years down the road that the average user around the world that we're going to hopefully start onboarding in the next few years, these billions of people aren't going to be able to afford these very high cost uh, transactions. So let's kind of think about that uh, and take that into to consideration. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, there's projects out there that are trying to make that easier, right? Like Celestia, where you know the base layer only guarantees the availability of messages and then transactions are executed by an application. So you guys can get really modular with how developers like execute and, and handle transactions and then also have that security on the other side. So I'm excited for things like that to come out and make it a bit easier. And I agree with you. Ethereum is, uh, it's limited, right? Um, but it has the most tooling and it has the most mindshare. So it's, it's kind of working today. You, you start off the episode, Natter, with the, your thought that the way to onboard a ton of people to Web3 would be like a social media network where it's extremely easy to use and things like that. So in crypto, we have like this spectrum, like, you know, we want decentralization, we want full ownership. 
the reality is to target the world, like that's going to have to come back a little, right? Like we're going to have to make it easier, maybe centralize some things to attract the whole world. The wallet side is interesting, right? Because I just, do you really think like a billion people are going to have like seed phrases with locked up and like safety deposit box it just seems hard. Yeah, I think that that's where the, the user experience improvements need to come over the next year or two, because absolutely not. Most people just would not feel comfortable being um, given that responsibility that if they lose their seed phrase or, or their private key, then they're not only losing their money, but they're losing their identity. And they might even be unlocking private messages because a lot of these applications are encrypting messages based on someone's like private key, which is another discussion. Uh, because like to me, that does I don't feel comfortable doing that right now. Um, so yeah, I think that for us to kind of onboard the next wave of, of users to have that killer app, we need improvements, not only on the application layer, but on the wallet layer. And I think we need to stop thinking about it in the terms of a wallet. Um, that's old te terminology. We need to come up with a, we're in a new paradigm. We're in a new space. We need to think of new like concepts. And I think that something like a Web3 identity app or something like that makes a lot more sense to most people and feels better. And not only do we need to change the terminology, but yeah, we need better experiences built into that. So if someone does lose their seed phrase or their uh, private key, then they can re regain access. And we need to kind of educate people better or build better mechanisms around preventing fraud and people that are able to kind of socially engineer people into passing over or handing over their private keys. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. We definitely have to make it easier. I guess to close out, a couple last questions for you just back on the dev side. Um, do you think that developers like on the Web2 side are misunderstanding or, or better yet, is there anything that those in crypto with platforms can do to help attract or answer the questions that Web2 developers may have? Because I feel like there might be a gap on what people see and what what's real. Because I mean, look at NFTs on YouTube or gaming on YouTube, like Gamers hate NFTs because they just don't understand them yet. Yeah, I think there's two answers or two things I want to touch on here. One is that when we think of, and, and I heard actually Kelsey Hightower talk about this in the Twitter space, and it's exactly what I've been thinking, but the way he kind of worded it made a lot more sense to me, is that when we think of iterations on things, we often talk about numbers when we're replacing something that came before it. So when we talk about, I'm upgrading my my React version from from version five to version six, then I am deprecating a bunch of stuff and I'm kind of like coming out with a new version of that. And I think when we talk about Web3, I'm not even sure if that was the best way to kind of to, thing to call it. Uh, maybe we could have named it something better because it invokes this reaction from people that were traditional web developers. Like these people are out to get me and they're trying to replace me and take my job type of vibes. And I think those types of vibes immediately cause like a negative reaction for, for a lot of traditional developers, especially if they've been successful for 10 or 20 or 30 years. Um, like it almost feels like, oh, these people are kind of like trying to, you know, replace the things that I'm doing and, and, and it doesn't feel good. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. And then another thing to keep in mind is kind of like uh, building upon like that understanding. When we talk about Web3, we need to maybe be a little less um, condescending and using stuff that sounds like we're trying to kind of like take over and replace these people's jobs and like uh, everything that we're doing is so much better. And instead, we should talk about it in this sense of like it's a new paradigm. We're able to do things that we weren't able to do before. Yes, we will rewrite 
some of these applications. And yes, this will disrupt some things, but there will always be the the web two versions of things that that are kind of like currently out there and people will continue using those. And we're just giving people new options and new ways to do things. You can continue using Facebook, you can continue using Twitter, but a new social network will come around and you'll have an option to kind of buy into that, right? It's not something that you have to do. It's kind of like this new option and it's not something that we should make people force to, to go into because that just causes like negative feelings. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, we shouldn't be condescending at all or, or aggressive. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and last question for you, Nader, like just thinking out like 10 or 20 years, you know, there's a lot of DeFi comparisons given how built out DeFi is, right? Like I never write a check. I'll never walk into like a bank branch again, right? Unless it's a safety deposit box. And we think about DeFi under that light as being so much better, right? When you think 10, 20 years in the future, do you think that we'll have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Telegram, Signal, like Twitch, like all these things? Or do you think that they will literally become like the dinosaurs of Web2? Because it is very hard for me to conceptualize leaving Web2 fully behind. Yeah, I don't think I know the answer to that. I mean, 10 years is a lot different than like 20 or 30 years. I think that you will see new applications that we never kind of understood today, like or, or, or new applications that are like a different paradigm again than what we're kind of used to that we can't really talk about because we don't even know what those are going to look like. And the repercussions of those is also something we don't understand because maybe it's orders of magnitude better and it makes us be like, oh, like I am going to leave that because I do feel like sending uh, and getting paid in crypto is so much better than my traditional banking system that I would feel comfortable like leaving that behind. But I don't know if I will say that there is going to be a messaging app that is uh, is you know better than Signal or something like that. I personally think that we will see that at some point, those things. But but again, maybe not everyone wants to kind of like leave those behind. So I think what we will see is like a little bit of both. We'll see a little bit of disruption where people disrupt and those types of companies like uh, go away. And then we'll see a lot of them that are probably still going to be around. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I guess on the timeline for that, you envision most of Web3 apps being like early copycats of Web2 with changes and then eventually we'll get the stuff we can't even imagine? I think it's a little bit of both. I think we're seeing the web 3 quote unquote, with uh, projects like Audius that are kind of like a streaming platform like Spotify. We're seeing, you know, Mirror, which is a blogging platform that is web, quote unquote, Web3. And then we're seeing like DAOs. Like DAOs is like a, a zero to one type of thing, I think. We've never really seen anything like like that where we're not iterating on something we're kind of like creating a new thing and nfts are kind of like a new thing so yeah i think it's a combination of both we're going to see the uh the web two of the web three ification of web two stuff and then we're going to see new things that we've never seen before i love that and last question for you natter you you turned down some pretty significant jobs i forgot which ones i remember seeing the tweet um uh, who did you turn down again to go to web three yeah so i tweeted this out a few months after i joined because um I thought it was a pretty cool story to tell. And also it's kind of crazy when, when for the average person to look at that and, and, and be like, wow, like, why would someone do this? But yeah, I had, I had been interviewing alongside uh, graph protocol actually before I started diving into this, this rabbit hole, I was, I was interviewing and um, I was interviewing with Goldman Sachs. I was interviewing with Coinbase and I had an offer from, um, from Goldman Sachs and Coinbase and from um, Bridgewater. So these were like, you know, pretty large companies and 
they were principal level positions and they were kind of uh, aligned with something that I'd become interested in with was, was finance. So obviously like web three plays into that a little bit, but, um, but yeah, like I had, I had offers up to half a million dollars a year and, um, I took less money to kind of come into the graph protocol as a, like a yearly salary. I did get equity that goes up and down, but, but I took definitely less money than that to kind of uh, go into a startup, which is edge and node, which is again, like, uh, started by the people that started graph protocol that had only been around for like a couple of months. So yeah, the tweet was something like, yeah, I turned, I turned down half a million dollar job offer to kind of go into web three. It was the best decision I've ever made. And like a bunch of people liked it. And I've seen a lot of people doing stuff like that since I did that. I mean, not, not because of me, just, just anecdotally, I've noticed that as well. No, I love it. Um, I mean, it's, it's really nice to talk to somebody like you that has spent so much time in web two and has fully embraced web three. And you have a real position at the graph you're building and you're able to describe like very technical dev related things to uh, someone like myself, who obviously is not a developer and probably most of the listeners. So Nader, I really appreciate your time. We'll definitely link to the guide that you mentioned and also a couple of other your posts, like how to get into crypto as a web three dev and things like that. But Really appreciate your time today and coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I really had a good time in this conversation, and I'm looking forward to checking out the rest of these episodes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nader. Talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Delphi podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for our next episode. Out soon.